Out of the blue of the western sky comes Sky King. And exploring unexplained phenomena with my buddy Jim Shorney. And Jim, how's the coffee this morning? Smells great. I haven't had a chance to taste it yet. I've just been so busy with show business. You know, getting things lined up for the big shoe. You betcha. The big shoe. Um, so a weather update. Looks like this is a great day again to mm-hmm. be out in the neighborhood. Um, everybody congregating at my house to rake leaves. And then... Oh, I didn't get that memo. And then next week, what's going on? Uh, well, it's going to get cold again Sunday night. And uh, let's see if I've got the current forecast up here. Uh, they're saying that this is going to be our last nice weekend of 2019. So get out and enjoy it, folks. Uh, Sunday night dropping to 22. And uh, Monday, a high of 32 with a chance of that white stuff that we love so much. Well, I put my request in uh, to you? the National Weather Service for snow because, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, the birthday today of my mother, Gentry Colborn. Uh, Mom was born December 7th, 1919, and, uh, gosh, wow. yep, she'd so be 100 years old today. 100 years old today. She passed uh, March 4th in 2014, and she was uh, she was quite a lady. So mm-hmm. she loved winter, and even though she was legally blind and used a walker, sometimes <laughs> if it snowed, she just loved being out in it. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and she'd say, Scott... Scott, don't argue with me. I love being out on the snow. If I fall, so what? So she would be out with one hand on the walker, one hand on a snow shovel, shoveling snow. So I, I told the snow contractor that, you know, either you or I have got to get over there quick uh, when it snows because this is what she does. And so happy birthday, Mom. Um, give my best to uh, Dad. I love you both. And... Uh, it's uh, it's great being able to be here and talk about you here. So, happy birthday, Gentry Colborn. 100 years old today. Wow. Time flies. Let's start the program here with Charlene and Pet Talk. She's with the Capital Humane Society, and she should be right there. Hi, Charlene. Good morning. Jim's got some questions to ask you about how many cats he should be adopting I this do. weekend. As I get the website pulled up. <laughs> that's, that's another memo I didn't get. <laughs> okay, so what else is new down there, Charlene? Uh, we will be having our holiday run tomorrow, um, oh. and that's going to be out at Pioneers Park, and you can find more information on our website at capitalhumanesociety.org. Um, it's a great fundraiser for us. And we also have um, holiday bulbs available that can be purchased that people can uh, decide to purchase and then um, hang on our tree here at the Pylock Pet Adoption Center. Um, And you can find more information about that as well on our website. And your weather report for tomorrow was a high of 51 degrees. So you picked a great day for it. That's okay. Yeah. So, Jim, as I understand it, with this run tomorrow, they uh, hang meat packs from the waist of the runners. They give them about a 20-yard head start, then they turn the dogs loose. (laughs) And you don't have to be faster than the dogs. You just have to be faster than your friend you're running with. That's right. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can get more information at at (laughs) CapitalHumaneSociety.org. And this is Charlene with Pet Talk, and she's got some great cats and kittens for adoption. 
We do. And we can start with, uh, let's see, Aiden. And Aiden is a very handsome cat, two years old, kind of a buff, orange, tabby, domestic short hair, loves attention and playtime, and hopes to be purring in a great new home soon. Oh, what a bright, alert-looking fella. Oh. Yeah. He's standing up there ready to go. Butterscotch caramel, uh, great markings on his forelegs. Kind of a white muzzle, like he's got a Santa beard. And he's really intently looking at that photographer. So take a look at Aiden's picture. And in fact, take a look at his buddy's picture. His buddy is? Boots. And Boots is also a striking-looking cat, a two-year-old tuxedo-type cat, domestic short hair, um, hoping his amazing family will be stopping in today to pick him. He deserves a fabulous home. With little white booties. And uh-huh. yes, it is a cat. There's no white stripe down its back, so I, I think we're good there. <laughs> yep, you can you can put on your own boots that are made for walking and go out and see Boots today. Aiden and Boots and... Next up is Jazzy. And Jazzy is one of our younger felines, just eight months old, a neutered male, a cream-colored tabby. Uh, knows how to be adorable, knows how to oh, yeah. play, will play all day long, so wants very much to be your charming companion. Well, if you like jazz music, this would be the perfect cat for you. <laughs> yeah, beautiful cat. Um, I had two cats, Jasmine and Sananda, and that was her nickname, Jazzy. So, um, in the sisterhood, great-looking cat. Aiden Boots Jazzy. And if you've got Jazzy up on your screen at home, capitalhumanesociety.org, take a look at the cat just to the right, um, uh, Lucy, because Lucy's a beautiful cat. Look at that fur, Jim. Mm-hmm. Sort of uh, charcoal, a little little bit of white hint in there, and a little marking right on Lucy's chest there, sort of like an emblem or a button right there. Beautiful, and beautiful she has cat. probably been here the the longest of all our felines. So I'm glad you spotlighted her. She is waiting for her perfect family to walk through the door. Yeah. So Aiden Boots Jazzy, and we added Lucy just because heck, just because we can. Uh, <laughs> because we like cats. Charlene and g- gangs open today and tomorrow. Here's Charlene with hours open. Our Pylock Pet Adoption Center is open today from 11 to 5.30, and tomorrow we will be closing a little bit early um, so our staff can attend a holiday party. So they will be open 11 to 3. Okay, it's time for Dogs for Adoption. I got them called up here. Who do you want to start with? We will start with Ruby. And Ruby is so adorable, a lab mastiff mix, about 85 pounds, and her little write-up says she is a lap dog trapped in a big dog's body. <laughs> and that's exactly right. She's just super loving and affectionate and sweet. And you can't say enough nice things about Ruby. If you, if you waited a couple of days and uh, she was still available, um, on Tuesday you could go out and see Ruby, Ruby Tuesday. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just trying so hard, so hard. <laughs> I'm trying to be good. Ruby's a great-looking dog. Look at that wonderful, happy face. She'd love to show it to you in person. And here's Ruby's friend. He or she is? Peanut. 
And Peanut is a four-year-old chihuahua, about eight pounds, very, very shy, but super sweet once you earn her trust. Uh, So she's a smart dog, a friendly dog, and will do very well with someone who is patient and kind and brings out the very best in her. Okay, Peanut's a great-looking dog, and um, they, uh, they, for um, chihuahuas, they advise you to put on an extra pack of weights so that when they spread their ears out, they won't fly away and breeze. <laughs> she could easily lift off. <laughs> okay, so Peanut, great-looking chihuahua, chihuahua, and Ruby, Peanut, and... Zay, which is a name I haven't heard much. That's our first. Z-A-E, yep. Four-year-old terrier mix, a spade female, very nice, looking for a great family. She's always wagging her tail, always happy to say hi. Um, So hopes that a family will be in soon that has plenty of time to provide her with the training and exercise and care that she needs. And you guys out there that are growing the magnificent, easy for me to say, do it again, magnificent, there we go, magnificent beards and mustaches, take a look at Joey's picture. There is a dog behind that that mustache and whiskers there. Uh, Joey, you just, you're looking so good, man. (laughs) So Ruby Peanut uh, Zay, uh, first name for that, and uh, Joey. Take a look at him at capitalhumanesociety.org. Better yet, go out and see him today and tomorrow, and here are hours open. We will be open today at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center from 11 to 5.30, and then closing a little early tomorrow, so open 11 to 3 on December 8th. Okay, Charlene, it's great to connect with you again, and I hope you have a great rest of weekend, and we get a lot of adoptions for cats and dogs. That would be wonderful. You take great care. Charlene and friends at the Capital Humane Society make them the first place you go when you want to adopt dog or cat. And we'd like to thank our friends Sarah in Charlottesville, Frank in Omaha, and Shelley in the Great White North in Canada for their generous donations of Zaptel brand international phone cards. And because of their goodwill, thousands of people can hear our guests each week, so... Sarah Frank and Canada, or Shelley rather. <laughs> yeah, we'll nickname you Canada for short. Um, you three, hats off to you, and Attaboy sent your way. Thank you very much. Jim, how's your week been? Pretty good. How about you? He says as he grabs his cup of coffee to try it again. I had your mic down. Jim, how's your week been? <laughs> I said uh, it's been pretty good. How about you? How's your week been? It's been great. It's been great. Um, Today we have some Costa Rican coffee. Have good. you had a chance to taste it yet? Yes, I have. Excellent coffee. By the way, up there, above the door to the uh, air studio, on the air studio side, there's a big sign that says, no cursing. We're not going to put any curses on people today. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> As long as you behave yourself. As long as you behave yourself. We're not going to turn you into a newt. That's right. (laughs) Yep. Or a Gingrich. Okay, it's 1025. It's time for The Seen and the Unseen with Preston Dennett. Hey, Preston, how are you? Doing well. Doing very good. How are you? 
We are doing great here. We are uh, getting our fill of coffee. Are you a coffee or tea drinker? What gets you going in the morning? <laughs> oh, I love a cup of, a cup of fresh brown French roast. Mm. Very strong. Very strong, no yeah. Milk, no sugar, just black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, one cup is good for the whole morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't drink it afternoon. Otherwise, I'll be up all night. Yeah, see, I got past that hurdle. I just kept drinking it, and now I, I've got my tolerance build up. So, well, my <laughs> my rule is that if you can see the spoon in the bottom of the cup, it's too weak. Yeah, I can't believe people that just use like one scoop for an entire pot of coffee. <laughs> I guess it depends on the size of the scoop. Oh well, this is just a, like you would put normally five in uh-huh. a you know normal coffee scooper. Uh, like a mystery that's, coffee. That's what I do, but I put too much in once, and I got banned from a coffee maker for a while. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and people bounce it off the walls. <laughs> yeah. He picked the coffee pot up, and he just lightly tilted it, and it didn't move at all, and then finally it started to flow <laughs> like magma oh, or lava. Um, it's always so fun, Preston, um, to talk with you because you always – have these stories that you come up with that people have submitted. What's been going on um, in the last 30 days? What have you been doing, and what have you picked up on or heard? Yeah, i got a good one for you guys this time. Um, you know, I've always got a lot of people contacting me, and uh, this guy has an interesting story. He's from uh, Colorado, a little town outside of Denver, and he had a, an experience that he wanted to tell me about because it was puzzling him, and I have to say I can see why it was puzzling him. Um, he's not exactly sure what's going on here, but how it all began was he saw a few orbs, sort of these glowing mm. circular objects over his house, so he was paying close attention. He has the habit of going out each evening before bed, mm-hmm. kind of looking at the stars, and this was on Halloween. He decided, you know, he's going to check out the stars before going to bed. It was around 2 a.m., and uh, he's going up on his roof, just looking at the stars. And suddenly this orb, about uh, maybe 45 feet up, appears maybe 70 feet away from him. It's about the size of a mm-hmm. basketball. And uh, it's coming towards him, towards his neighbor, actually, his next-door neighbor. It kind of floats lazily across right over his neighbor's house, right over a tree, and disappears right over this pine tree. Now, at this exact moment, a, quote, black humanoid thing jumps out of the tree onto his neighbor's roof and runs across it and dives over the edge. And uh, in a way that a person can't do, because they move much too quickly. It was very weird sort of movements that he had a lot of trouble describing. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, maybe it was a kid, you know, playing a trick on you. It is Halloween. And he's like, no, no, it could not have been. No one could move like that. And uh, it really scared him badly. He couldn't talk to his neighbor. His neighbor's a crotchety old man uh, who is not sociable. But he did get up the next morning and go over there and check to see if there were footprints. Because, you know, it was very snowy. Mm-hmm. Lots of snow everywhere and no, no footprints at all. So he's asking, you know, what do you think I saw? Is this you know, a ghost? Is this a UFO? And, uh, you know, I couldn't tell him, obviously, for sure, but it sounds UFO-ish to me because of the orbs. 
but the story wasn't over yet. <laughs> well, we need to find out, Preston, before you proceed, we need to find out, this is in the Denver area? Yes. Okay. Or so actually Wheat Ridge. Okay, people in the Wheat Ridge, Denver area in Colorado, if you're listening, is it a common practice on Halloween to dress up and go hang out in a tree until a guy comes out next door and then you jump out and skitter across the roof and then dive over. Now you probably have like a two or three mattresses piled up, so you're you hopefully you're gonna hit your mark, right? But is that what you folks out there in Denver do on Halloween? <laughs> At two AM. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can't you can't do it at seven or eight at night. You gotta wait till two AM. No matter the weather, right? So Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was very strange. And uh he, he was pretty concerned about it. You know, he's buying cameras and stuff because the weird stuff was going on. He'd seen those orbs earlier. And mm-hmm. uh, which is why I was thinking, gosh, this could be UFO related. There is quite a bit of activity in the Denver area terms of UFOs. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. But, but then he contacts me later, and uh, this was like two weeks later, and he had another experience. He was in his kitchen. It's a very small kitchen. And uh, so he lives alone with his cat, and he's looking towards the living room, uh, watching TV and sort of cleaning a coffee cup when he sees this black mass coming through the kitchen walks through the kitchen and out the other side towards his garage. And that's where he keeps, you know, a bunch of his stuff. Mm-hmm. And two days earlier, he was alone in the house when suddenly heard this loud banging in his garage. He was running into the garage and he had like three bins stacked up that had all been pushed over, violently pushed over. There was no way they could have just fallen by themselves. And he had no idea how something like this could have happened. Now he's wondering if it was this black mass. And he wants to know what I thought of this. And I'm like, well, that sounds ghostly to me. Uh, so now he's freaking out a little bit. Is this, you know, E.T., is this ghostly? He's been doing all this research, and I'm asking more questions. And I found out that he had had some Bigfoot activity as well. So I'm like, okay, well, what is going on here? And... uh his biggest experience was actually in upstate New York. I'm like, well, where is this? He's like, Pine Bush. Have you heard of it? I'm like, Pine Bush? you got to be kidding me. Pine Bush is one of the hottest UFO spots in the United States. Mm, I would agree. Very active there. Um, you know, there's books written about it. That's where, very near where Whitley Strieber had his cabin when he had his experience up in New York. So, and he described this experience as a child where they had this set of footprints going through their yard, and uh, they were much too large, and the step, you know, their gate was like twice the size of a human's gate. So he follows these steps through their property all the way up to this barbed wire fence where the steps just stop. They stopped, and there was no other steps beyond them. It was impossible unless the creature or whatever it was backtracked, stepping in its own steps, uh, which doesn't seem possible or likely. So, I don't know. He's had a lot of experiences, and he's trying to figure out what's going on now and linking it, perhaps, to these earlier childhood experiences. Did he say how, the, describe the, the uh, footprints themselves, how they were similar or differed from ordinary footprints? 
No, not yet. I'm still kind of conversing with them and corresponding, um, getting all these details. And that was the latest email I got from him. Uh, you know, it, 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 please comment here if, if I'm in error, but, you know, it seems to me that it's much more than just a bright light seen in the night sky. There, there is a multitude of phenomena that takes place, and you just described um, two or three different types of phenomena uh, that apparently this guy is experiencing. So it really behooves people out there, if they are a quote-unquote researcher, to be open-minded enough that they can entertain the multiplicity of the personal experience and not just narrowly focus on, you know, I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm just a plumber. I don't do electricity. No, I, I don't, you know, I don't do uh, yard work. I'm just a plumber. You got to listen to the whole story, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And normally when someone you know, tells me, oh, I've had this unexplained experience, it's relatively easy to categorize. But then you get these other kinds of cases which come together all at once in a cluster. Uh, which have to be related somehow. Um, I just kind of see that these aren't somehow, you know, coming together mm. all at once for a reason. Uh, hard to say. I mean, I suppose it could be a coincidence, but it just doesn't feel like that. And because uh, I keep getting cases like these, you know, where like where someone has a UFO hovering over their house, and then suddenly doors are opening and closing by themselves, and lights going on and off, and things like this. Uh, and this is definitely a pattern that I don't quite know what to make of, other than, yes, these are somehow igniting each other or sparking each other or related somehow. I'm not sure. Uh, it, it would be interesting to find out if this gentleman, uh, with other family members, historically, if they've had any experiences as well. Um, and going back in generations, you know, I was a, a member of a support group for many years in Lincoln, and we had uh, one family from Omaha, I remember, that had about three generations of people that were having these uh, uh, extraordinary close-up personal experiences. Um, and it is a multiplicity of stuff. So, Right. That's pretty common, actually. Uh, it, I don't know if I've ever... That far into it. I don't know, Preston, if I've ever asked you this question, but... With all your interests that you have, have you ever, quote-unquote, brought the phenomena home with you? Have you ever had doors opening in your uh, house or apartment and books flying across yeah. the room? And Yeah, there's been a few times. I remember once I went to see a medium in Woodland Hill. She's a physical medium. Did what we call table lifting, which is kind of like a Ouija board, but you use a table and it rocks back and forth and sort of connecting to the spiritual world that way. And uh, the woman who is the medium, she does these meditations, these white light meditations to sort of close the spiritual doors afterwards, which she had to do because she's kept having sort of bleed through incidents following her sessions. She had a fire start in her kitchen. Oh she my heard noises in her house. And at any rate, one day we go over there and you know, I did several sessions. Um, I recorded a number of them. I was doing all kinds of research because she was good at it. I mean, she could put one finger on the table and it would rise right up. So I knew it wasn't a trick.
Daihatsu car and heading up t- through Topanga Canyon, or just about to enter the canyon, when suddenly something hits my car really hard, like a, a force. I don't even know how to describe it, but it was a bang, and my car started spinning around. I mean, not completely out of control, but, you know, fishtailing and rocking back and forth and going all over the road, and I just barely managed to maintain control. But boy, my heart thumped like a jackhammer. I was scared there for a couple of seconds because something hit my car. And I looked down the road, of course, perhaps there was an oil slick or something. No, nothing. That's what a few skeptics met them said, oh, you must have hit some spilled gasoline or something. Like, I don't think so, because I didn't see anything. And it was right after visiting this lady who had warned me about stuff like this could happen. So there was that. Yeah, I've seen a few UFOs now and then, which I think is clearly related to me hanging out with all these people who are being abducted. I took a report years ago, and I I honestly don't know how the guy found me, but uh, his uh, report was that he was driving in a vehicle with two other people on a road with no other traffic around, no oncoming uh, vehicles, nobody immediately behind him, and all of a sudden, it's lucky they were all wearing seatbelts, they hit something like they ran into an invisible wall and basically totaled out their vehicle. Wow. And the people and the driver were all conscious. Nobody was uh, drugged or uh, drunk. And so he was trying to find out if there were other experiences like this of people hitting uh, invisible things that couldn't be seen by the naked eye, but they had just, you know. So I thought to myself years later, I thought, Maybe there's a cloaked saucer that had sat down on that road. And, you know, Bert and Ernie, they're supposed to be watching for oncoming traffic. And they're doing something like, you know, a Scrabble game inside the craft. And all of a sudden, boom! (laughs) And they realize that something just ran into them. So, uh uh-oh, we got to get out of here. Yeah, I know of a case exactly like that where a lady's driving along and, bam, she hits something. There's nothing there. She gets out of her car, and it's completely crumpled up on one side, but not in a way that, you know, there was no scraped paint. It was like it was melted or something. Very strange. There are photographs of this. It's a very well-known case. Uh, yeah, very strange. Uh, just talked to a guy from England who I've been interviewing for a while. I told you a little bit about him. He emailed me, gosh, last night or yesterday. Uh, he had walked out of his yard at night and was looking at the fog rolling in and suddenly the fog the wind picked up and pushed the fog over his house and it kind of maneuvered around this perfectly round spot as if there was an invisible round object um, keeping the fog away from over his house his president looked like a UFO I don't know how else to describe it Mm -hmm. there was this place where the fog wouldn't go and it was perfectly saucer-shaped. Um, it really freaked him out. It was very, very close and low over his house. That's got to be a sign or a symbol of sorts. It's weird. I haven't heard anything quite like that. But this guy has a lot of experiences. <laughs> so it kind of doesn't surprise me. Um, I know UFOs can turn invisible. Cause we keep seeing these kinds of cases. 
Preston, I'm going to be back in contact with you. I so much enjoy chatting with you on the show here. I want to have you back for a full segment here. Um, hey, you and hey, I just hi. sort of jump into stuff and get started, then I've got to call a halt here. But uh, I will be back in contact, and we'll get you back on the show here for a full, uh, full-length full guest segment. Okay, very cool. Okay, um, and uh, what are you working on right now before I cut you loose? What's your, what's your big project? I think I'm going to make some chicken burritos make a whole big batch and freeze a bunch my goodness you're how far away from lincoln oh geez (laughs) okay that sounds great um and i wish you well too with your with your writing projects uh tell the people the last book that got published what's your latest book my latest book is schoolyard ufo encounters but i have to tell you i've got another one coming up in maybe a month or two so i'm working on that who well Okay, so PrestonDennett.Weebly.com. PrestonDennett.Weebly, that's W-E-E-B-L-Y, Weebly.com. Okay, Preston, thank you so much. Always great to talk with you. I will be back in contact. All right, thank you. I'm Scott Colborn. Stay tuned. We've got a great show coming up with Jim Willis, The Quantum Akashic Field, A Guide to Out-of-Body Experiences, for the Astral Traveler. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. I'm Scott Colborn. Happy birthday again to my mother, the late Gentry Colborn. She would have been 100 years old today. It gives me great pleasure to welcome back Jim Willis to the show. Jim is the author of 11 books. He was just on about a month and a half, two months ago. Um... He's written on religion and spirituality with magazine articles, topics ranging from earth energies to ancient civilization. He was an ordained minister for more uh, than 40 years. He has worked part-time as a carpenter, a musician. He hosted his own drive-time radio show, a director of an arts council, and a professor in the fields of world religions and instrumental music. And uh, he's got a brand new book out that is a, a wonderful addition to the field and lots of personal experiences that he accounts in this. This is called The Quantum Akashic, or Akashic Field, A Guide to Out-of-Body Experiences for the Astral Traveler. And Jim, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Scott. Good to be with you, as always, as always. Do you, do you have a wake-up cup? Uh, with you, what what do you drink in the morning when you are you a coffee or tea guy? I'm I'm a I'm a coffee guy, but today it's uh, it's I'm on the East Coast, so it's almost twelve. It's water for me today. <laughs> and you're you're out in the woods. Yeah, yeah, we live we live out in the middle of the woods. We came here oh about ten years ago now. Um, we came out here to go on a retreat. It was supposed to last for about a, a year. We wanted to live out in the woods and be hermits and just kind of get in touch with spirit and uh, wrestle with God a little bit and and try to get in touch with the essential reality of who we are, uh, the whole Henry David Thoreau thing. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to last for about a year, and then we were going to go on to the next chapter, and it's been 10 years so far. It turns out the next chapter was right here. Uh, were you able, when you planned this, to have, you know, modern convenience, conveniences like uh, plumbing and running water and 
You know, I, the reason why I ask is because I've got a friend, uh, he and his wife live outside of Eureka Springs, Arkansas, and uh, they have a very unusual toilet that doesn't use any water. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, um, I have lived for weeks at a time at cabins, various cabins that I built. I built a log cabin up in New Hampshire, and I built a cabin out in the woods in Massachusetts. And so when we originally came here, that was my original thought, to just live in a cabin totally off the grid. But uh, my wife decided, well, have a good time, she said. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to, we found ourselves drilling a well and we found ourselves putting in a septic system and then uh, we brought in electricity and we brought in underground fiber optic cable. <laughs> so we're, we're enjoying the simplicity of the woods, but we have a hot tub on the back deck. How about that? <laughs> well, you're as, you're as removed as you want to be. I understand that this is a, a very magical place that yeah. uh, you hint at in this brand new book, The Quantum Akashic Field, that you've actually been to this area before. Yes, um, and that's that caught me totally unaware. We we came here. Um, I came up here first. I wanted a, a retreat place to get away. I was living in. Uh, we I was down in Florida. I was pastor of a church down near Daytona Beach, and um, I wanted a place where I could go and just kind of get away for a while. Uh, I I'm always have that tendency to 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 want to be alone in the woods it's been with me all my whole life and i didn't understand the woods in florida very well it was a totally different i'm, I'm a northerner and it, it, mm -hmm. it didn't make any sense to me i couldn't uh, really relax in it the, the vegetation was all different the energies were all different <laughs> the bugs were all different and uh, i i drew a, a circle on a map that was uh, six hours away, and I said, I'm going to see what's up there. And uh, one of the things that fell into that circle was uh, uh, where we are now, except, of course, I didn't know anything about it. It looked interesting. Uh, there was the, the um, a, 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 there's a national forest, or state forest, rather, right next to us. So I can uh, reap the benefits of being able to go out in the woods and walk for for miles and miles and miles, uh, not on my property, but on state forest. Well, we had a different couple, few different places we were looking at. So I, uh, I wrote to some real estate agents and I got one reply and he said, yeah, I've got some places you might want to look at. And so I, I, uh, decided to go up, but before I did, I looked at some local newspapers to find out what it was like. Mm -hmm. I thought I go online and read some local newspapers. And there was one local newspaper that had an article on religion and, uh, it was, uh, called religion A to Z. And it was a 26 week series. Um, a is for Aaron, B is for Baptist, C is for Catholic and that kind of thing. And the, the article that I happened to look at said U is for Unitarian. And as I read it, I said to my wife, boy, that, you know, that, that, that guy knows what he's talking about. This sounds pretty good. And Barb started laughing. She said, well, he better know what he's talking about. You wrote it. <laughs> and I said, what? <laughs> and down at the bottom of the article, the source was given, the religion book by Jim Willis. <laughs> I had no idea. So I was hooked even before I came up. <laughs> Jim, you spent um, four decades as an ordained minister. If you, yes. knowing what you know now, if you took a 
some mechanism back even 20 years and had a conversation with yourself, what would that be like? Wow. Uh, gee, Scott, because that's, a, that's, that's a great question. The, um, we're going to get into the, to the book here and the topic, but I find it as interesting, Jim, to talk about your personal life adventure and the, the morphology, the changes... The, yeah, um, yeah. It, it. I don't know what I would say to myself. I, I probably. I mean, of course, we never know because every decision we made make along the line leads to where you are, and it might have wound up differently. But I think I would have gone back and I would have said, Jim, stop being so serious. Stop being so. Uh, worried all the time. Stop looking forward all the time. Start to learn how to live in the present. It took me, well, I was 62, 63 when I came up here. Mm -hmm. And uh, it took me that long to really learn how to live in the present moment and to slow down enough, uh, to slow down enough to, um, to really begin to get in touch with reality. Way back in the time of Socrates, Socrates said one of my favorite quotes. He said, beware the barrenness of a busy life. Um, I think that's probably what I would have said to myself. I was caught up in the noise and the speed like everybody else, and I couldn't understand why even as a minister, um, I didn't have any real contact with God. Uh, in, uh, of course, from time to time I did. Uh, and I, I did a lot of praying and everything else, but I was just, my mind was just always on what I've done in the past or what I've got to do yet in the future. And uh, I had to be 62, 63 years old before I began to learn that lesson. And it's a hard lesson to learn. I've been at it 10 years and I still, I still fall by the wayside. I I even out here in the middle of the woods where we don't see anybody sometimes for days on end. Um, I still, I still get caught up in the hustle and bustle and I watch the TV and listen to the news and all that kind of stuff and think about what's coming next. Um, and I don't think you can establish a really deep spiritual life with that kind of life. And I think that's probably the central problem that faces us today as a society. We've lost contact with the, the reality of who we are. And uh, it, it took a long time up here. Mm -hmm. uh, folks, this is Jim Willis, and he's the author of 11 books. This brand new book is called The Quantum Akashic Field, A Guide to Out-of-Body Experiences for the Astral Traveler. And um, Inner Traditions is the publisher. They've got a good page on his book. You can also go to Jim's website, which is Jim Willis, W-I-L-L-I-S dot net. Again, that's Jim Willis dot net. Jim, uh, this book that you've just released, The Quantum Akashic Field, have you hinted at this in other books that you've written? Or is this... Um. With, yes, with I, I, great respect, I is this to, a, a coming out in full force of this interest of yours in yeah. out-of-body experiences? Yeah, I, I began to hint a little at it because when I wrote uh, Ancient Gods, 
um, I began to sense that our early ancestors, and I mean early, early ancestors, I'm not talking even five or 6,000 years ago, I'm talking 10, 40, 50,000 years ago. I'm convinced the more I, I study the artifacts they left behind, and the more I study the oral history, the mythology that has come down through the centuries, uh, I'm convinced that they looked at the world totally different than we did. They were a much more right-brained people than we are. Uh, I even think our distant cousins, uh, Neanderthal, and especially Denisovan, um, now that we've opened our minds to begin to think that these weren't just primitive brutes, we begin to look at the artifacts they left behind, and what do we find? These these beautiful paintings. Uh, we find flutes, which mean they were making music. Uh, we find uh, symbolic drawings uh, left behind, symbolic carvings. And I think they were experiencing the world totally different, and I think their energy was left behind. I think it it's the energy that exists right here on this property because... We have uh, found artifacts here, not only things like uh, spear points and things like that, but diggers and, and scrapers and all of that. And through through dowsing, well, first of all, just through intuition, but secondly, through dowsing and, and then finally through out-of-body experiences, we've, we've come in touch with the energy that they left behind, and I think it was that energy that called us here in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, we discovered energy lines, uh, ley lines, and you have, you have to remember, and until I was some 60 years old, I didn't even believe in any of this stuff. Uh, I thought I had it all together. I thought my theology was going to cover most, at least uh, most of the problems and most of the ideas of life. I, I thought I was pretty well in tune with all of that. Now, <laughs> I go back and I, I just shudder to think of how naive I was. I... I, as a minister, of course, have been with a lot of people holding their hands and praying with them when they died. And I've even had quite a few people who, well, a dozen maybe, who have been declared clinically dead and then come back. And they come back with a near-death, what we now call a near-death experience. And they tell me what they saw. They tell me they saw entities. They tell me they saw the tunnel, the light. They tell me about going through the life review. They tell me about seeing that being that sends them back, and they realize that they it was t- not time for them to leave yet. And I would listen to those stories told right after the experience, and I would be patronizing. I would I would pat their hand, and I would say, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And I, I never said anything to them about the fact that I doubted it or that I thought it was just a, cl- a chemical imbalance or some such thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't pay any attention. And these people could have taught me so much had I only listened and accepted. But I thought I knew better. I was a right-brain systematic theologian. I was on top of these things. You know, what did they know? What did they tell me? Um, at, at Christmas time, I would sit with my congregation. I, I love Christmas music. And we would sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King. And we would tell the story and read the story in the Bible about an angelic choir that stepped out of another dimension and, and sang. <laughs> Or we would tell the story about how an angel would appear to Joseph, or an angel would appear to Mary, or the angel Gabriel would appear uh, to Mohammed in the cave, or the angel Gabriel would appear to Daniel in the Old Testament. And uh, I would always wipe these off as metaphors. And yet here, 
in the very religion that I was practicing were all of the clues and all of the keys that I needed had I only opened my eyes and my heart and my mind and said, maybe we're talking about more than metaphors. Maybe we're talking about something real. Um, I'm, I'm ashamed of myself to say it now, and I guess that answers your first question even better, doesn't it? I guess that's what I would say to myself. I'd say, Jim, wake up, listen, take these things real. When when children, for instance, talk about, you know, children are, are very receptive a lot of times to dimensions beyond our perception realm, and they will talk about having imaginary friends, and Mostly as yep. parents, we try to talk them out of it. We say, oh, you don't know, don't worry, you're just imagining it, it's not real. I'm, I'm beginning to think, I, I'm not beginning to think, I now think that, yes, this this was all real. It was there all along uh, in so many different aspects, and I just didn't pay any attention to it. I will never forget my daughter, she's still in a crib, but she's old enough to start standing up, and she's verbalizing I went in one morning to her room to uh, get her up, and uh, she said, you know, out of left field, but yes. I, I pondered that. Yeah, my kids, both of them, my son Asher, my daughter Melissa, they both had imaginary friends. That sometimes yeah. going yeah. to daycare preschool, we'd have to make sure there was an extra seat in the car that their friend could ride with them. Wow. Well, and and where, how could they possibly make something like that up? You know, that kids just know how to speak from their experience. I think that's wonderful. What a wonderful story. Jim, when we come back from this top-of-the-hour break, I'd like to have you talk to us about the source mm-hmm. and us as aspects of consciousness leaving the source and then almost the full circle of going back to the source. Uh, Towards the middle of your book, you laid that out really eloquently. Well, we have have the rest of the afternoon, right? Because (laughs) that's a wonderful story. Yes, I will do that. Okay, this is Jim Willis, and his brand new book is called The Quantum Akashic Field, A Guide to Out-of-Body Experiences for the Astral Traveler. I'm Scott Colborn, along with Jim Shorney, We are powered by Costa Rican coffee this morning, and it's great to have you folks out there. Special thanks again to Sarah in Charlottesville, Frank in Omaha, and Shelly in Canada for their donations of prepaid phone cards. Thousands of people are listening now because of their goodwill. We appreciate that. Stay tuned for a conversation with Jim Willis. We'll be back right after this. We are exploring unexplained phenomena. And thanks, Lon, for your phone call. All the best to you as well. Our guest is Jim Willis. The 11th book is The Quantum Akashic Field, A Guide to -to Out-of-Body Experiences for the Astral Traveler. And Jim, uh, on page 73, you introduce a definition of a quantum Akashic field. What is the quantum Akashic field? Uh, Urban Laszlo uh, talked about this. It, it's it's real reality. He uses the term akasha, and that's in term that comes from a, a Hindu term. That was the the Hindu word that they used to describe a field of potential and possibilities. Um, it's between us and the source, 
And when I think about the Akashic field, I think about everything that could possibly happen, everything that could possibly be, everything that could possibly exist. It's all there in that uh, quantum Akashic field. It operates under different rules than we're used to. Here in our reality, uh, and our, I might preface this by saying our reality is really bounded by a fence. Uh, it's, a, it's a pentagon, a five-sided pe- fence. And each side corresponds to one of our, uh, uh, of, of our um, senses of, of reality, um, sight, smell, taste, touch, um, you know, hearing, all that kind of thing. So we live in this, this five-sided fence bounded by our senses through which we experience the world. The trouble is that there's a roof over this reality, and that's what I call the intellect. Um, those fences are wonderful things, those senses that we have. They're wonderful things because they've evolved to help protect us. If, if we were aware of the whole spectrum of light, for instance, <laughs> rather than just the red, orange, yellow, green, blue, light, indigo, violet that we experience, we'd have to be able to see microwaves way up on one end and, and um, other waves way down below. And so basically what they do is filter out everything that we don't need in order to survive. The problem is what does come through has to be translated into something we can understand, and that's what the intellect does. So picture yourself living in this within this five-sided fence, the five senses, with your intellect interpreting everything that comes in. We call that reality. That's what we experience. We think that's what's real. Actually, no, that's just our perception. The real reality is on the other side. And on the other side exists, I think, the uh, uh, Akashic field. And the whole idea of -of out-of-body experience, for instance, is to be able to sidestep the reality that we think is real. But when we go out into the quantum which operates out there, we're operating under a different brand of physics. Here in our reality, we experience the world through Newtonian physics, classic physics. Uh, Things travel from here to there, and it takes an X amount of time. Or for every action, there is a reaction, and all of those ideas of physics. Out there in the quantum world, it's a totally different feeling. We've got uh, the physicists tell us now that out in, in, in quantum reality... Uh, you can take a, uh, a particle and spin it clockwise over here on your left, and way over on your right, maybe even all the way across the universe, its entangled partner will start to spin counterclockwise. Uh, there's no time for information to travel from one to the other, so how do they know what to do? They're entangled. They have instant uh, reality. Now, that's something that we just really can't conceive of with these minds, and yet... Quantum theory is the most tested uh, theory of all physics of all time, and it never has failed. So we know that out in the real perception realm, out in the Akashic field, things operate in a, a totally different perspective, a totally different way than we have here. And uh, it, it, it can be unnerving, but it can be a wonderful sense of joy and, uh, and curiosity, too, as well. Jim, a brief aside, in the, in the UFO field, many researchers are waking up to the idea of consciousness being the interface between yes. the other sentient beings and 
us as humanity. And uh, no less than Ben Rich, who was the head of Lockheed Skunk Works, uh, making experimental uh, aircraft that perhaps are 50 years beyond what we think are flying right now. Yeah. Um, and responsible, perhaps, for some very exotic craft that we now see in the sky. One of uh, a UFO researcher asked Ben Rich about UFOs, and Rich said, well, tell me, what do you know about ESP? Because if you don't know anything about ESP, then you won't understand. Yeah. And Grant Cameron tells the story of a Canadian researcher back in the 1950s who was trying to, to research the same phenomena, and he was told by a prominent scientist at that time, what do you know about ESP? Because you got to understand that first. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we're finally getting out of this idea of, of the linear distance from point A to point B being the only concept and the only way to travel. And you've yeah. just helped the audience think about going outside that fence where there is another overarching reality at yes. work. Exactly. You, you put it perfectly, I think. Um, and this, this has been studied in some pretty highfalutin places. Uh, uh, Dean Radin is doing a lot of work in this out in California um, with the uh, Noetic Institute. But right here on the east um, in Virginia, um, when Bob Monroe founded the uh, Monroe Institute, which, uh, of course, Bob Monroe is the one that gave us the term, actually, out-of-body experience. Uh, he was a, a pioneer in this field. And when he founded the Institute and began to do really serious study about this, uh, the Army got a hold of it. And um, Skip... Uh, um, Skip Atwater. Atwater. Atwater, is it? Skip? Yes. Um, I forgot his last name now. Yeah, it's Skip uh, Atwater. Skip Atwater. I've, I've met him, too. I can't believe I... And I couldn't remember his name. Um, he tells a story about how uh, the Army would send people out to the Monroe Institute to study to learn how to do remote viewing. And what that basically is, is uh, some people call it psychic spying. Uh, and there are all kinds of stories about uh, gifted people who studied at the Monroe Institute and who studied these things actually were able to do things like find Soviet submarines. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody knew where they were, but they could locate them on a map. Um, uh, they could, during the Cold War, they could find these ideas about where, where the missile silos are and everything else, and they could actually, uh, in the comfort of their own living room, so to speak, actually travel out and, and see um, instantly what was going on in other places. It's an ability, I think, that many of us have. I think probably all of us have it to some degree. Uh, as in any art or any craft, there are some artists, you know, I mean, everybody's a musician, but nobody's a, really a Mozart, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so I'm sure that um, there are people who have more and less ability. It, it, and I, I'm sure our ancient ancestors were able to do this. Uh, but the trouble is, in our age, in our day and age, we've let it atrophy. Uh, so even though it's within us, we aren't conscious of it anymore. I think part and of that is that... we don't live that... a lifestyle that promotes it. We don't live that exactly. quiet, contemplative lifestyle. When I, when I was a younger guy, a bunch of us that... A few of us had gone through Boy Scouts together. A few were, were uh, added later as friends. But we went up to do one of our first um, canoe trips in the Boundary Waters... Uh, apart oh, from yeah. being Boy Scouts. We'd already been up there before as Scouts. 
And so the outfitter was uh, very um, knowledgeable, and they took time with us, and they said, um, you know, you guys are from Nebraska, right? Yeah. Okay, so when you see a storm cloud off on the horizon, how long does that take to get to where you're at? And we kind of looked at each other and said, well, probably... I don't know, maybe a half a day sometimes, maybe sometimes longer. And he said, you need to understand that when you're up here, that when you see that cloud off on the horizon, you need to get off the water because it's coming in about 30 minutes. Yeah. And just that connection that he helped us, of course, and we had a great, great trip up there, but it's, it's yeah. being connected to the land, the, the environment, and then you start getting these senses of of how things flow i don't know if i'm putting that in the right words but i think it's, i think it's great yeah it makes it makes perfect sense um in our in our reality inside this this five-fold sense that i talked about of the senses we we perceive uh one way of looking at it but when you go to the boundary waters uh, out there in quantum <laughs> quantum land, it's a totally different reality. We mm-hmm. have to adjust to a new reality. Um, I know when we were talking about uh, aliens um, and the whole uh, alien theory, especially the ancient alien theory, it's it's hard to get past the physics of how long it takes a nuts and bolts spaceship uh, to get from one you know from point A to point B in the universe this big. But once you begin to start talking about the quantum world and entanglement. If particles can be entangled and, in, and instantly um, exchange information, mm-hmm. why can't things made of particles do the same thing? And uh, I have no doubt that we're going to be learning more and more about this, that we are contacted by um, beings from other dimensions. And again, it's an old, old story. It's not just something brand new. It's in all the religions, except we don't call them spirit guides. We call them angels. We don't call them uh, astra or ancient a- aliens. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call them messengers of God or something like that. Well, I'm really uh, interested uh, as a theologian yourself uh, in yeah. this, this the, the larger questions, Jim, that are behind, to me, uh, the um, paranormal, the extraordinary experiences, this mm-hmm. larger question that, that there is a source for all things. Yeah. And... As a Christian, I've called it God or the Creator. Mm-hmm. It goes by uh, Carl Jung talked about the Akashic field as being the collective and conscious. But there's a source that from which all things come from. Yes. And could you describe, I think it was right about page 73, you start talking about <clears throat> the source and how we... Right. Left the source, and then we came back to it. This was an intellectual framework that I came up up with. Oh, it's beautiful. I I, I can't claim this as being the truth. All all I can say is this is the way I understand it now at this present stage of my life journey. When we talk about the source, and we used the word entanglement before, everything is unit, everything is connected, everything is one. When we talk about the source, we're talking about absolute unity. Now, when you think about absolute unity, we call it God, or uh, the Hindus call it Brahman, and Brahman cannot be defined. 
It is the uh, place where language cannot go. It is beyond our thought. Um, Indians spoke about, uh, and here in America, talked about Manitou, um, the source of our, the ground of our being, according to Paul Tillich. Um, a lot of other names, It we can't really describe it because it's so totally beyond our perception. But in the source, there there is a problem. <laughs> How can source experience anything when everything is connected? So I'll call it God or source mm-hmm. and say, how do we come from there to here? What is our mission? Who are we really? So this is this is some pretty pretty heavy stuff, but let's begin at the source, this place of absolute unity, absolute peace, um, absolute uh, goodness, love, all of those things. Now, an idea begins, um, and we move from the source somehow an energy realizes that in order to experience something, it has to leave the source, and it moves into the first place that I call, and I call it consciousness. I don't think consciousness originates in the brain at all. I think consciousness is universal. It's a way of thinking. Um, Einstein called it the mind of God. Uh, So did Stephen Hawking. There in, in consciousness... Energy still doesn't have uh, a, a body yet, and it still doesn't have an independence, but it is beginning to contemplate the idea of having a body and having an independence and having an experience. And so from that consciousness, that energy moves out into what I call the Akashic field. Uh, that's the field of possibilities, a field of probabilities, where everything that can happen can now be imagined. From the Akashic field of possibilities, we move into the area that I call quantum reality, and I describe it as thoughts and intuitions. It, it still doesn't have a, a body yet, uh, it, but it, it begins to experience what it might be like to have a body, what it might be like to not be in perfect unity with everything else, what it might be like to possibly be an independent uh, entity that can experience something on its own. And so it begins to have the thought of what this is, and it moves from there through from quantum reality in t- through the newly discovered Higgs field. Um, the Higgs field was discovered by Peter Higgs back you know, when he, in, in Scotland when he was working with nothing but mathematics. He didn't have a computer or anything with him, and he uh, theorized the Higgs field that he never thought would be discovered in his lifetime. He theorized that this was a field where energy could move through this field and become matter. It would slow it down. It would take on bulk, so to speak. Um, When the particle, uh, the uh, large uh, Hadron particle collider discovered the Higgs boson, when it knocked off the Higgs boson and discovered the Higgs field, they called up Peter Higgs and said, you got to come over. <laughs> we found it. And when Peter Higgs actually uh, flew from Scotland uh, to the meeting where this was announced that they had discovered the Higgs field that he had theorized for years before, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Everybody was standing up and applauding. Peter Higgs was crying. He never thought that science would discover the reality of the Higgs field named after him in his lifetime, but they did. When energy moves through this Higgs field, um, 
it's kind of like moving through here in America. We say it's like moving through molasses. Um, it, it, it gets sticky and gooey and takes on substance. Uh, energy becomes matter. Um, over in England, they call it like moving through treacle, but I'm not sure what treacle is. But as energy takes goes through this Higgs field, it takes on matter, and all of a sudden Einstein's equation comes in, energy equals mass times the speed of light square. Mass now has, energy is mass, and mass is energy, but energy has now taken on mass. And then from there, in that uh, material reality, the manifestation of material reality, now energy can finally understand what it's like to be independent. And eventually that energy leads to us. We are those uh, that energy that is taken on mass, taken on body, the whole world, the whole universe, the whole cosmos, taken on matter. And now we are experienced. We are separated from source. We're separated from God in the sense that now, all of a sudden, we know what uh, individuality is. In the source, you can't because everything is connected. But out here, as individuals, we can experience everything that there is. And we can have every experience and think every thought and and do every deed. And then when it comes time for this material uh, source to uh, this material body to die, we can then leave, return to the source, carrying with us the experience that we had. In a sense, this life becomes like a school. We learn. We have an experience that we can't possibly have when we're in the source. The source is blissful and wonderful and beautiful but there's no individuality out here. We have individuality. And so I think that's what our lives are really all about. That's how I picture it. At least I picture us as living in a, a school that is supposed to soak up all of the experience we can. So when we go back to the source, we can carry the record of that experience with us. And I think that record is stored in what some people are starting to call the Akashic library. Mm-hmm. It's the the library, for lack of a better word, in which every single possibility and every single probability is recorded. Does that make any sense? <laughs> it, it does. When the separation happens and we find ourselves as a uh, aspect of consciousness mm-hmm. in the physical body here of all places on planet Earth, yeah, is there a definable part of us that is still connected to the source? Yeah. And is that connection always permanent? Is it uh, a cord? Is it always, always there? We can't break it. Uh, it goes on despite physical death. I'm not trying to lead you too much, but is is there no, something no, I, that remains I, I know, I know that exactly we're connecting what you mean. to? Uh, the Hindus were way ahead of us on this. Uh, 6,000 years ago, the Rishis were talking about it. They called the source Brahman, and they called what was inside of us Atman. And the nearest English word we can come to Atman is soul, I think. And the the genius of these Rishis 6,000 years ago, when they looked at Brahman, who was soul, I mean, who was uh, the source, and Atman, who was within, the brilliance of those men, they were able to say, thou art that. Brahman and Atman are exactly the same. In Christianity, we use the word soul. Uh, Our soul comes from God and returns to God. It's the same kind of concept. 
uh, as for is there a, a cord that connects us, um, there's a, a curious uh, a Bible verse at the end of uh, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes that says, you know, someday the silver cord will break uh, and when we will leave this body. And from there has uh, arisen the theory that there is a cord that connects what some people call our astral body or our soul or Atman with this physical body. And that we are tied to this physical body as long as the physical body exists. But when the physical body dies, when we stop breathing and when our brain starts to work, then the cord is broken. And that old Christian song, someday the silver cord will break and I uh, no more as now shall be and we shall return to God. So in a, in a sense, um, it's, it's that idea of our soul being here. But I think we are always positively uh, and unequivocally and forever connected to the source because in essence, that's who we are. We are an eternal being that has taken on a body, a material body. Jim, that's a great place to take our bottom of the break, and I am so much enjoying the conversation. Uh, it's conversations like this that keep me coming back every Saturday. Uh, the show has ah. celebrated 35 years of broadcasting, and uh, I want to thank you for being part of and this. And it's important work that you do, Scott. It really is. Well, let's continue this. This will be a little bit longer break to allow some of us that have drunk enough coffee to go get rid of it and then get some more coffee. And so uh, fill your cup up, have a sip of water, folks. We're coming back with more conversation with our special guest, Jim Willis, the author of this brand-new book, The Quantum Akashic Field. And we picked a great place to have you think about what we've been talking about here. We'll come back for more. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim Shorney. And you guys and gals, we are exploring unexplained phenomena. Folks, it's time for the end-of-year giving. Uh, you can help us through the end of year and into 2020 with your donation. From now through December 31st, your donation goes a long way towards sustaining this, your community radio station, through the winter. Uh, there are thank-you gifts that are available just in time for gift-giving and holiday get-togethers. As we look towards 2020, help set KZUM up for success by making a donation now, 402-474-5086 or secure online at kzum.org. Thank you so much for your support. Our special guest is Jim Willis, the author of 11 books, including The Quantum Akashic Field. And uh, we took a break, Jim, describing about uh, the Akashic Field and how how have you experienced this yourself? It has um, <clears throat> probably totally turned my life around. Uh, I, I consider myself living in a, a, a totally different reality since I first discovered what out-of-body travel was really like, out-of-body experience was really like. Um, like I say, I was at best an agnostic and I think probably... Uh, an atheist when it comes to uh, out-of-body travel and all these things we've been talking about. And uh, I, I simply chalk it up to the fact that it took me that long before I could find uh, and get my life together to the point where I could get out and spend great times in solitude and in meditation. So it has given me a, a sense of peace, um, a sense of joy, and I hate to say this, but it's true, uh, a sense of sadness 
Because when you think about these things that are so big and so real and so important, when you look at some of the things that are going on in the world today and the hatred that is out there and uh, the divisions that are in the world today, you just want to stand up on a mountaintop and scream, people, we don't have to be this way. <laughs> it can be so much better. We have so much potential within us. And that that can't help but lead to a certain amount of, of depression uh, when you see that, when you consider the possibilities of what can be and the possibilities of, of what is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't want to give anybody the idea that I'm living in some kind of a... Uh, well, an, an unreal kind of reality all the time. I'm victim to this very same pressures that everybody else is. Maybe not quite so often and quite so much because I'm not, I don't have to be at a, a job at a certain time or I don't have to be at a certain place or a certain time. Uh, and I can get up in the morning and pretty much have control over what I do and what I want to do and what I want to think that day and all that kind of stuff. So it's maybe is a little bit easier for me now, but not everybody can do that. I was just really fortunate that I could come to the point in my life where my wife and I could consider even doing it. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't have any money. We uh, The money coming in is way below the poverty level, but we don't feel poor. Uh, we feel rich. Um, we have everything we need, and there's not too much that we don't that 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 we want either uh we've just kind of disassociated from all that so it 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 does affect your life in in very real meaningful ways and it slows you down and puts you at the center of the vortex at the middle of every vortex there's a, a a still point at the center of the circle and that's what we strive for every day jim there uh a quote from m scott peck who was a psychiatrist and wrote yeah. books, including The Road Less Traveled, and People of the Lie. Yeah. And uh, he said, given the world that we live in, if you're a thinking, caring human being, you should at times feel depressed. Yeah. The yeah. bottom line is to be able to lift yourself and or recognize what one needs to... Uh, change the focus out of that into the contribution that that you can make to the world. And I would suggest, Jim, for yourself, that it's books like this, it's the Jim Willis who's able to talk on the telephone and have thousands of people listening, that uh, by your conversation and your deeds, you're lifting them up, you're helping them again to take off the very narrow prescription glasses that they've, they've looked at the world with to start wondering what's off in the horizon there, maybe over that fence. And uh, so that's one of the ways, Jim, I, that I think that you and others that are thinking, caring, deeply feeling human beings are really helping to contribute. And I want to thank you very much. Well, thank, thank you for those words, Scott. They, they, they mean a lot. They, re- they really do. I appreciate it. Um, it's, it's, it's funny. I, I talk about being out here and was, I'm not, I'm not sure how long we're going to be able to continue this indefinitely because writing books has inevitably led to something else. (laughs) I've got to tell you a story that from the last time, the last time we talked was it back in October, I think, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, Lost Civilizations, my book, Lost Civilizations had just come out. And, uh, what I didn't tell you on the air was that back last 
either April or May, I've forgotten which, um, I suffered a, a partial, a kind of a mild heart attack. And oh, while I was you. having, in the midst of the heart attack, um, my my daughter, uh, who lives up right next door to us now, I built her a house right next to us in the woods. She kind of helps us with a lot of the things that we just can't physically do anymore. She was on one side, and Barb, was my wife, was on the other side. And I, I actually caught a glimpse of what was on the other side. That's how far I went. And I did come back, but it left me uh, with a real a deep sense of depression, as I understand anyone who had a heart attack. And uh, a lot of this is very common, I understand. And uh, I was kind of figuring that it, things were over, that I had come up here. This was the last chapter of my life, mm-hmm. and uh, things were pretty much over. And it wasn't I wasn't morbid about it. I was almost kind of looking forward to it. What's next, you know? But... Physically, I was I was weak. I was walking around with a cane. Uh, I started to gain weight, and all of that changed overnight. Um, got an email from Andrew Collins. Um, Andrew uh, had uh, twenty years ago. He had written a book uh, called "From the Ashes of Angels," and it was dedicated to the Kurdish people. And studied the uh, a lot of it. Studied a lot of texts. Uh, and and um, ideologies from the, the ancient Kurdish who lived in Turkey, of course. And um, that book, 20 years later, got him in trouble because now the political situation has changed over in Turkey. And lo and behold, uh, Andrew's book was discovered, and Andrew was banned from the country of ever going back to Turkey again. The trouble is he had teamed up with... Uh, uh, Ancient Origins, uh, an online magazine, along with uh, the travel group Travel the Unknown, to uh, lead a group to go into Turkey and study ancient sites in Turkey next September 2020. So he couldn't go in all of a sudden, and yet the the tour was planned and it was beginning to be advertised and everything else, and he couldn't be the guest on the tour, the, the, the leader of the tour. So he wrote me an email all of a sudden and said, uh, you want to stand in for me? You want to go to Turkey for me next September? Here I'm sitting in a chair recovering from a heart attack. I've got my cane. And I found myself saying, sure, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> I, I put down the cane. I began to walk. A little bit later, I began to run. Uh, I began to get on my bike again. I began to lift weights. I began to watch my diet. I lost 10 or 15 pounds. And uh, and I agreed to write a series of uh, eight articles for Ancient Origins on different sites that we're going to be seeing in Turkey. So here, all of a sudden, I'm out in the middle of the woods writing books, figuring it's all over. And the next minute, I'm training and getting in shape and writing articles and planning to lead a group to with with me to to Turkey to visit ancient sites next September. <laughs> and uh, I I never expected this. I I just never you just never know what's going to happen in the future. You think your experience gathering days are over, and all of a sudden new experiences come up. It's really it's it, it's really amazing. You just never know what life is going to throw at you. Uh, thank you for sharing that, and special thanks too for Andrew Collins for that precipitous uh, phone call to to Jim. Uh, Jim, the people listening, uh, will they find in your book? the quantum Akashic field, um, a how-to. If people wanted to uh, initiate to engage an out-of-body experience, is there 
information in your book to help them do that? Yes. Uh, the book is divided into two parts. Part one is the theory uh, of out-of-body experience, which I think is really important. When we study these things, uh, it's really easy to get carried away and just uh, go off you know, this way and that. I, I think it's really important when you study any of these paranormal experiences, you, you can't check your intellect at the door. You've got to bring it with you. As 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 uh, one famous president said, trust but verify, you mm-hmm. know. So that's the first part of the book is the science behind it all. Uh, understanding that we're not dealing in something that's just so esoteric, it doesn't have any semblance of reality. I think we're discovering a science that we just haven't in, in, uh, understood yet. We're just beginning to understand. So that's the first part of the book. Second part of the book is step-by-step through the five-fold plan that I found works for me. Um, I've adopted this from the man who I think is one of the foremost uh, um, OBE uh, scholars and teachers in the world today, and that's William Buhlman. Um, I studied with Bill up at the Monroe Institute for a week, and I've read all of his stuff. We've emailed back and forth a couple of times. Matter of fact, he even gave me a um, a little blurb at the front of uh, the Quantum Akashic Field, the book. He gave me a recommendation for it. It's on the first page there, I think, or the second page. And um, I've adopted his his methods, which uh, anybody can do in the comfort of their own home. Um, there are, of course, other things out there. You can uh, check out the uh, um, uh, Monroe Institute online. I really recommend uh, their work. You can go up there and take a week-long workshop, or they have different satellites. Uh, they're located in Virginia, but they have different satellites around the world where they do workshops and that kind of thing. But uh, the the techniques that I uh, that I talk about in the book are just what has worked for me, um, and I think they're adaptable to anybody. I like to say that if anybody is willing to give it a shot for 30 days, 30 minutes a day, and you really have an intention and carry it out with discipline, I guarantee you'll have some kind of an experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's all outlined in the book. Jim, you mentioned um, earlier remote viewing and how the government was interested, specifically the military, in this. Yeah. I recently attended the Starworks um, USA UFO Symposium that Paula Harris puts on every November in Laughlin. And in particular, I think that you would really enjoy this gathering of people. But we had on stage uh, one of certainly the deans of remote viewing, Russell Targ, who was at SRI. And uh, so he said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to do a remote viewing experiment. And he held up a duffel bag and he said, I have this special object in this duffel bag. And I'd like to have you describe it. What does it sound like? What does it taste like? What does it feel like? What does it wow. smell like? And <clears throat> he didn't reveal what was in the duffel bag. He put it down behind the podium, and then he led us through uh, just a very natural, very short experience. And we did three attempts. And we had pieces of paper and a pencil, and we were to jot down or draw what we uh, were picking up on. And the first couple of times that I tried it, I, I wrote down uh, a narrative that invoked a image of a, um, it looked like a college campus, and I was drawing that in terms of the buildings and the path. The third time, 
I had something weird. I said um, Taiwan, comma, from Taiwan, question mark. That's, hmm. that's what I got. And I just sounds stupid, weird, illogical. I'm going to write it down, okay? And so he said, okay, now it's time to reveal the special object. And he lifts out of this duffel bag a very, very large strainer that somebody might use for cooking in a wok. And it's a, a oval connected to a long metal handle. The oval yeah. has got openings to allow the grease and things uh, uh, to uh, the oil to, to leave. And, and it's a very, very large, very sturdy apparatus. There were people in the audience, bingo, that got this that held up pieces of paper that came up and showed him. And I asked Russell, I said, you know, is there any label that says it was made in Taiwan? <laughs> and he said, you know, there's a possibility, but there's nothing that identifies it on the on this great big, you know, uh, uh, strainer. Wow. So yeah. part of uh, the conversation I was out of the room for, um, I did a live radio show during this portion, he had the Israeli psychic Uri Geller um, live from Israel. And so they did a remote viewing experiment with Uri, put him on the spot. And so he drew on a piece of paper something that looked like a, um, a rectangle that had a little corner kind of removed from it. And he said, this is what I get from the, the target. So Russell then holds up because he's uh, has vision difficulty. He's got a, a magnifying glass, and when he folds it up into this carrying case, it's the exact wow. shape of the image that Uri Geller. Wow, wow! It uh, man, almost makes your hair stand up on end, doesn't it? Wow. Well, and I want to come full circle back to your book because your book makes the unknown known and it does so in a very interesting fashion this is not something folks that that mystics on top of a mountain only can take part in there's many of you people that are listening right now that have had spontaneous out-of-body experiences yeah um there are many more of you that are realizing that there's more to what is then consensus reality? This may be a great addition to look at. And Jim, I want to thank you very much for taking time from your morning to be with us. It's always, oh, sir, a pleasure. And thank you, Scott. Every time you call me, I write it down on the calendar and I start looking forward to it right away. It's always good to talk with you. What I'd like to do is I'd like to uh, swivel the mic around to you and have you in the moment um, kind of finish the show with a couple of minutes of talking from your heart to my audience. Wow. There's an, absolutely um, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Many of you, I'm sure, who are listening right now uh, are fascinated by this. You wouldn't have stayed through this, uh, this, this longer period if you weren't interested in this. Right. And, uh, Many of you are saying, I know that there's more than what I'm experiencing in life right now. Uh, 
life is really difficult. The Buddha was right. Uh, life is difficult. Life is, is, can be painful. And the lives we lead today are uh, sometimes it, they're just not, we're on a treadmill. We don't know where to go. We don't know how to do it. We don't know how we're going to come up for air. We don't know where the next paycheck's going to come from. And when it does, it seems to disappear right away. Um, we are filled with many troubles. Um, all I can say to you is, and I struggle with this too, so don't feel that I've, I've got any magic words, but there, we are more than our bodies. Um, we are much more than our bodies. There is a reality out there that is waiting for us, and uh, nobody can take that away from, from you. Nobody can take it away. It's there. It's waiting. We have to reach out and grab it. Sometimes that takes a lot of work, takes a lot of discipline, but we can do it. It's possible, and uh, life can be wonderful. And may you have a wonderful, wonderful life. Jim, thank you. My best to you and your family, and I look forward to our next conversation always. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate it. Jim Willis, you can find him at his website, jimwillis.net. You'll also find Jim Willis as jimwillis.author on Facebook. His publisher is Inner Traditions. They've got a great page for his book. And the book is The Quantum Akashic Field, A Guide to Out-of-Body Experiences for the Astral Traveler. And that, ladies and gentlemen, may be you. Special thanks to Sarah in Charlottesville, Frank in Omaha, and Shelley in Canada for their generous donations of prepaid phone cards. If you enjoy the program, you can say add a girl, add a boy to these folks for making it possible with their prepaid card. Who's up next week, Jim Shorney? I don't know, Scott. Who's up next week? Corin Grillo. And the book is The Angel Experiment, a 21-day magical adventure to heal your life. Interesting. Jim, thanks as always for being a part of the show. Lots of fun. A great topic today. What are you doing for the rest of the day? Uh, well, as it happens, this is Skyworn Recognition Day on the ham radio bands. And uh, so I'm going to go home and see if I can make contact with some various Skyworn ham radio operations around the country. Huh. And Skyworn, of course, is the storm spotters. My thanks again to all you folks out there who have just been listening for weeks, months, or maybe years. 35 years and going strong at shows like this with Jim Willis that keep me coming back, looking forward to more. Thank you so much for your support. Stay tuned for um, Beta Radio. Beta Come Radio. on up in just a matter of there minutes. Going to be some great music. Leave your dial right here at 89.3 or at kzum.org. Always lots of fun. I'm Scott Colborn, and I'll see you next week. Until then, walk in beauty.